First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich, and I am the founder of the 1,000 Hours Outside Movement. Here today, we have Lida Lawrence. Um, She is a forest kindergarten lead teacher. And so uh, we're so excited to have you here today, Lida. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Ginny. I'm so excited to uh, be here with you and talk to all your listeners a little bit about Forest kindergarten and wildlife education and just getting children outside. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because in other countries, forest kindergarten is the norm. Um, and here in the States, it is not the norm. It's very rare. And so I, I know that um, families will just, I think they're intrigued by it. So they're going to love to hear, you know, more about what you guys are doing in Maryland. So Um, Let me read a little bit about you. You've been working as an elementary childhood teacher for 16 years, the last eight of them at the Waldorf School of Baltimore. You've been in the Baltimore City Public Schools, Montessori programs, homeschool centers, and at your own home daycare. You have two sons who are 21 and 17 who both attended the Waldorf School of Baltimore. Um, You guys are in in the education space here. Your husband is an elementary Spanish teacher. and you have a Bachelor's of Art and History from University of Pennsylvania. You have uh, micro certifications for early childhood education and um, a, a Waldorf a pedagogy program, a childhood development. And you've been working on a level three nature teaching training. I think it's cool. You are a lifelong learner. And that's what your, your whole bio here ends with, that you're a lifelong learner who seeks new ideas from parents colleagues, experts, and children themselves. What a cool background, Ida. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's very experiential. And, you know, I haven't written any books or blogs about it, partly because I have a really hard time sitting still. And, um, you know, you have so many amazing guests with so many amazing books that have inspired me uh, in my work. But um, for me, I'm, you typically find me outside with uh, outdoor clothing moving around. And um, it's been, yeah, it's for the last really 20 years of being a parent and getting involved in this journey, it's been about negotiating the, the balance of protecting childhood of my children and then my students, yet preparing them for negotiating mm-hmm. an increasingly challenging world. And yet yeah. still being like confident, lifelong learners. Um, and that's a balance. That's the balance. And it's it's really challenging for all of us. It was for me when I had my first son, I was 28 years old and I had spent 25 years with my primary focus, actually training and competing horses. And I knew nothing about children per se, but I loved being outside, moving around, you know, tending a farm and animals and being in the woods and creeks. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was laying a pretty good foundation for being an outdoor early childhood teacher. And because yeah. uh, horse people don't stay inside because of the weather and there's a lot of mud 
and manure and risk involved with horses. And um, horses also don't respond well to like unpredictable emotion, nor do young children. Interesting. And um, yeah, and it's like, if you want the respect of a horse, you uh, you work with their natural instincts. You work with with where they are, and it's very similar with young children. You look think about their developmental stage, and young children want to move. So you know here here at Waldorf, we really try to honor that and where they are, and create environments where where we can work with those natural instincts. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean like. And, and I'm a mover and it was really hard for me really just even to get through college because I had to sit and study. And um, yeah, I would imagine I a lot of reading if you've got a history degree. Yeah. And I even got so into history. I thought I was going to, I wanted to teach U.S. history to high school students. And I started a master's program in U.S. history with that intention and like leaving the horse world and doing that. But between just my need to move. And I had some injuries from falling off horses one too many times, which actually made it kind of painful for me to sit. Uh, I I dropped out of um, my master's program and went to massage therapy school to heal my body and get another skill where I could be up on my feet. And once again, going through that program, I didn't know it at the time, but I was laying a really, you know, interesting foundation for, uh, working with young children, like the importance of healthy touch, movement, calm and peaceful sensory environments, um, core strength, and how we store trauma in the body. And those were like huge parts of that training before I had even worked with with children. And um, and and I was a, a massage therapist while during my boys' early years of parenting. Uh, it really became very applicable because my first son really gave us a run for our money. He was like the child when we put on that first grandparent given Winnie the Pooh DVD and kind of cozied up in the screen in front of the screen together for a little viewing pleasure. And Winnie the Pooh comes bouncing out of the tree and hits each branch going down. My son screamed, cried, and ran out of the room. Oh, he and like he would like spike the fever midway through movies that seemed happy and innocent and then switch to peril and, you know, um, too much action. And as a parent, I knew I had to protect this kid's childhood and his right to a sensory environment that was nurturing for him. And that's what led me to Waldorf education. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a path. Many parents do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a path. And I, and I love what you talk about, Lida, like, you know, this is how our lives are, and they don't necessarily unfold in the reasons that we expect them to, or in the ways that they expect in the ways that we expect them to, um, you know, but then you can often look back and say, Oh, you know, this was a piece to my puzzle. And I understand why and you know, like you talk about that nature, you know, n- nature reflects these different parenting principles and teaching principles and, um, you know, whether it's horses or whether it's gardening or, you know, you get this sense of, oh, you know, you get a better sense of how things work, I think. Just from, you know, Absolutely. being outdoors and and like you said, with the yeah. massage. So, okay, so currently, um, 
you're at the Waldorf School in Baltimore, and the Forest School, which is a school um, kindergarten experience, Forest Kindergarten, where you're outside all day, um, is a newer program. Is that correct? So it is. I mean, the experience with teaching through COVID um, in our first year uh, with dealing with COVID as a school, we kept our early childhood programs open all of uh, all of the year, the, the first year of COVID. Now I we're kind of in our second full school year yeah, of COVID. Yeah. And I deal with the protocols. But um, uh, so our children's garden stayed open and we just moved everything outside. Um, wow. And I was already in the midst of doing um, like a nature-based teacher training through a, a group here called the Eastern Regional Association of Forest and Nature Schools. And, you know, it was already a big part of me and a part of why I moved from teaching in the public schools, which I did in Baltimore for a while to Waldorf. Because uh, I just, to be my best self as a teacher, I need to have a lot of time outside. And, mm-hmm. and it's also better for the children. But COVID was, uh, and, and reacting to that, and trying to create the safest space for all of us to be together in our community, um, that was the first major step we took as a school to think deeply about creating outdoor spaces where we had home camps, uh, for each class. And then we had sort of a rotational schedule so we could keep our cohorts together um, and not really cross over any more than we needed to, but still wave and have a sense of community and share these spaces on our campus in a way that uh, enabled us to be in person with the children, which, you know, trying yeah. to it is important. Mm-hmm. They need that. It's interesting that you bring up, and I didn't realize it was this new and um, a result of COVID. But I do remember when the you know the schools were shutting down and everyone was trying to figure out what to do. And we're in Michigan, so you know it's it's cold. Um, you know until March or April, and you know it's end of March, it's beginning of April, and I just thought kind of the same thing as you. Like, well, there's so many parks and there's so many of these community spaces like what if the kids were in cohorts and you just bust them you know that today they're at you know this metro park you know and then tomorrow they're at this one there's enough these community spaces but nobody asked me so uh i think i had like i have a grand plan um but just knowing about how these open spaces just facilitate so much learning and joy and movement. Um, so, so what an interesting thing that that sort of was my bent with COVID and you guys did it. Yeah. And we did it. And, you know, by the end of the year, actually, we, we had enough enrollment to open a second kindergarten this year. Wow. Um, because doing was, was unique in the area and a lot of families wanted it for, for various reasons for their children. So we have only a certain number of like indoor classroom spaces. So looking ahead, we had one too many classes for our classroom space. And I said, well, I'll just officially do a forest kindergarten then. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Right in. And um, actually over the summer created this really beautiful outdoor sort of mm, place in the woods. I don't like to call it an outdoor classroom, but it kind of, it kind of is in a lot of ways because we have a gazebo, we have, you know, that nice little 
roof uh, to have a cozy space when the children do need to come in and get away from the heat or the extreme cold. And it it's sort of our anchor point. Yeah. Um, and then we've just been able to build around that space and with some, you know, the things we add to uh, our woods, we think very consciously about. So really, you don't need much a fallen mm-hmm. tree, all of the rocks, the sticks, the big pieces of wood and bark just create infinite opportunities for the children to, to play and create and use their imagination and build, um, you know, civilizations in the woods. Yeah. Um, have a lot of wildlife, but we do add a few, we have added a few things like hammocks um, and swings that really get kids spinning and hanging yeah. down and doing yeah. all movements that they need to fully develop their proprioceptive and vestibular systems and just all of those sensory environments. So, so we are preparing them um, for their next developmental stage and wow. having a lot of fun doing it. So, oh, sure. Yeah. So this is very new. So Lida, you said you guys are in, you know, uh, the middle, basically, of your second year. Uh, mm-hmm. Is this something that the Waldorf School of Baltimore is planning on keeping, um, you know, long term? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the sense that I get. And we're trying to just really think deeply about how to grow the program. We have parents who are very enthusiastic about it yeah. in, in our area. But, you know, even throughout the course of the year, I spend a lot of time reassuring parents that their children will be ready for first grade, whether they right. stay at the Waldorf school or go on to traditional schools. Interesting. You know, can only, uh, uh, you know, invest in the early childhood years in a Waldorf school and then go on to public schooling or homeschooling. Um, right. And, uh, and some get worried, like, oh, yeah. you know, there's no formal academic instruction here. And, so we talk a lot to parents about why we're doing what we're doing and how being outdoors is going to prepare. Their Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is a big key component, I think, Lida, is that, you know, myself included, there's not a lot of information out there for parents. There is more now. I mean, there's some really good books, but you have to know to read them. You know, you might not even know about them. Yeah. You know? and like I was a homeschooler for um, for many years really, uh, I was sort of always doing kind of a combination, but I just remember that feeling of a little bit of panic, not knowing whether to trust this, the slow path, um, the, the path of, um, you know, I had my children outdoors a lot. I, um, felt pressure from other people in my family about why I wasn't teaching them more formally to, to read at a younger age. And, you know, kids get a lot of positive reinforcement when they hit those milestones, but they don't necessarily get Mm. kudos when they come in from a really big play session outside and dragging it and, you know, to uh, grandma's house. Yeah. Kudos for being filthy or whatever. Yeah. Uh, How many frogs did you catch? Or, you know, like, do we put those things on the report card? Well, that's such an important piece of it though. I think the parent education and, and, yeah. The point is, is that outdoor play uh, 
it enhances brain function. And so, and so what you're doing is you're laying this lifelong foundation um, for kids to be able to learn quicker and easier and, and to be more flexible and adaptable um, through all of that early childhood outdoor play. And so it's such a gift for those families. Is it a full day um, kindergarten program? Is it a half day? It is a full day for us. Um, we uh, start at eight o'clock. Uh, yeah, walk us off, through. You know, walk us through the, the day. Hour and what? It, what does it look like? Sure. Um, so I'm out there really early, <laughs> just just kind of checking the space, and because we're in an urban environment, I have to make sure that um, you know there hasn't been any dangerous trash dropped around. We we're in Baltimore city. We're in the Northwest corner, but, um, but being in an urban area, we do have to be mindful of, of checking our spaces for, for trash or just, um, you know, people who have maybe come through over the course of the evening. And we like to share our spaces with our surrounding community too, because a lot of children who live right next door, aren't getting these experiences in school. Mm. So we, we welcome them to come and, and play in our playgrounds and in our woods after school. So I always do just, you know, a little check to see who's been here and reset things if needed. Um, and of course the animals too, you know, come through and leave little treasures, but I, I check for space and then parents start arriving anywhere between eight and eight forty-five, And we, um, try to really honor the children's need to move right away. Um, they have a little routine. So it's really important. One of the things we really think about with Waldorf education is, is routine and like framing, framing the day in a rhythm in an in-breath and an out-breath rhythm. So an in-breath would be more like the things that you have to take care of or a teacher-directed time. And an out-breath is the time where children can choose what they want to do, go off and play, go off and explore, um, and have that that freedom. So it's the in-breath and the out-breath. So we start with a mini in-breath where they have to find their stump, organize their stuff for the day, put their symbol in a basket and um, get their lunch in the right place. And then we offer either, there's always a morning activity um, and they can choose to do that. But some children right away, especially if they've had a long commute, need that out breath. They need to start running in the woods. They need to start climbing with their friends. And um, some of them might want to get in a hammock if they've had a tough morning, getting all their clothes on and getting ready for school. They might need that sort of comfort of a little shelter um, or if they didn't have as wonderful night's sleep. We always have those different places that they can go to take care of their basic needs up front um, because we can't expect, um, you know, children to be their best selves if they don't have that time to transition in the morning. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 1000 hours. So we, um, so, but some want to start right in and connect with, with us as teachers or um, get busy with an activity. And that's how they transition to a new experience. They might be thinking about whoever dropped them off, mom or dad or grandma, and they're missing them a little bit. And it's helpful for them to have an activity to go to. So that activity might be feeding the birds. We do a lot with feeding the birds in the winter. Um, It might be a a craft in the um, gazebo. It might be um, collecting rocks and making little rock circles around bulbs that are starting to pop up. It might be, you know, sweeping the steps. Um, There's so many things that we can do in an outdoor space. And the beauty of that outdoor space is it gives a lot of freedom, um, especially in that early time for for children to make those choices. So we have about an hour and a half up front Mm -hmm. of of that introductory time. And then, and that's the the out breath. It's the mini in breath to a a nice big out breath. And then we have the in-breath of a circle time, a community welcoming song, all the children. We, we sing, um, you know, good morning in different languages. And we do what would be considered sort of a traditional Waldorf movement circle where we might act out stories, where we sing with rhythm and rhyme and counting. We, you know, like to lay, we like to think about how we're laying the um, the seeds of, of the academics that they're going to need, but just in super fun ways. Um, mm-hmm. And with, with lots of movement, because really like all kids are kinesthetic learners um, at that 
stage. So, so we have this fun circle. And at the beginning of the year, that's for short because it's hard for children to leave that out breath of play. Hmm. And I'm, you know, every parent yeah. knows that transitions are the most challenging part with, with children. So as soon as they come together and we sing them together in a way that sort of intrigues them and, and it's not, and some children at the beginning of the year can't join the circle. They watch standing over by a tree and they're not quite sure because they haven't had the experience of having that community in breath and having a teacher kind of present a very unique sounding song. Mm -hmm. So we keep it really short and we build up their stamina so they can, by the end of their kindergarten year, be doing much longer circles and um, circles and moving as a group and really enjoying each other's company and and learning a lot. So after that movement circle, we, we have a snack time. And then we get our backpacks, we get all of our um, just things that we need to take along the way. And we go for a hike to a new place, maybe way off in the woods, maybe up to the upper playground, maybe across the street to uh, the community where there are all these pine trees with uh, pine cones, maybe to a sledding hill. Um, We're really lucky that we can, from here, have that ability to to go as a group and yeah. talking as a group is like so great for young children, just yeah. even a small group, even your family group. Right. It's just uh, going from point A to point B and singing little songs and noticing things along the way. <clears throat> it's very enlivening. It is. You know, people ask so often, the question they ask me, one of the ones the most is, what is our favorite thing to do outside? And, you know, I mean, I always say hiking and and hiking doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you know, some like, you know, through the mountains. I mean, we're in flat, you know, this flat area of Michigan. It, It just means like a little jaunt through the woods. And especially if we have friends along, like you say, it's like you have this shared sense of purpose. You're all moving. You're all, you know, getting the lymphatic system going. It's fresh air and and you're having conversations. And and like you said, things just grab different kids' attention. And then, you know, there's a whole group of them looking at something or, you know, so it is a shared purpose. And yeah, it is really powerful for how simple of a thing it is. Absolutely true. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I love about what we, we do is the, um, the simple but profound, you know, it's, yeah. um, and, and what I find ha- that happens over the course of the years, I can trust the children more and more and give them more independence to like, take the charge, take the lead. And I'll, if a group is, is ready and we know we're hiking to grandfather tree today, and I know I've done it with them so many times. I can say the way to grandfather tree today and off we go. I'm going to be the caboose and you're going to be the front engine. And it gives them um, this, this, this confidence that we want all our children to have. Yeah. Um, and they can't all lead the way every day to, you know, we're working with a group. So they, they learn patience and they, of course, then all want to be the the train engine one day and it becomes this wonderful thing where, you know, it rotates and, um, but, uh, but it's wonderful when I see as a teacher, how much I can start to trust my students to, uh, to negotiate, to navigate the world. And 
you know, and then during that, that time, we, we visit all of these familiar places again and again in different types of weather and in the seasons. And, uh, and I have an assistant teacher and we have walkie talkies. So as we get further into the year, and especially now with winter, winter is like one of the most wonderful times to be out in the woods with children to, uh, to build this sense of independence and confidence because the visibility is really great. So we can let them go further distances and have more of, of, of a feeling of um, just ownership of, of how, like, I know these woods, I know all the cool little places, I know how to navigate things, but we can still see them. And mm-hmm. I'll often, you know, sort of go out a ways with a group and my assistant teacher will stay at sort of a base camp spot with, with a group that wants to play in a different way. And when a child way out with me wants to go back to base camp, you know, a walkie talkie, um, Leo is coming back. Uh, he's going to hoot like an owl if he's not sure which way to go. And of course I can see through the, you know, I know which way to go yeah. and I can see, send that child and give them this amazing, unique experience that, you know, we have a lot of children who live in the city and, um, and, and just to be that child who was never, you know, allowed to you know, go around the block mm-hmm. themselves yet to have that experience of walking through this swath of woods and hooting like an owl and, oh yeah, it's that way. And, you know, we, we can watch them the whole time, but they feel like they're alone in the world navigating this, yeah. this situation. And it's so empowering for them. And I love to give that to them. Um, so I know I'm supposed to be talking about my routine. No, you are. Yeah. You've made it. So you're at, you've done snack, you've done a hike. Yeah. We are. I'm assuming lunch is coming. Lunch is coming. When we come back, we, uh, we have a stump circle where we tell a story. Um, oh, fun. And we, we uh, every day have a story in the oral tradition, uh, which is um, one of the big parts of the Waldorf Early Childhood curriculum. Um, just, you know, and it's one of those things, too, that, like when I was a homeschooler, I felt so inept with that part. I was, I was trying to do... Um, like the Oak Meadow Waldorf inspired curriculum and some things with Charlotte Mason. And, and, uh, and I never felt really very equipped to do oral storytelling. And I would read books about it and this and that. But what I realized is um, children just love to hear something that comes from your, you know, from the spontaneous environment or from your, experience at home or just like an interaction you had with your pets last night and it can be so simple but so meaningful and of course now that I'm I've spent more time in the Waldorf world I've built a a nice repertoire of seasonal stories that I tell and fairy tales are um, can be really wonderful and fairy tales from different backgrounds around the world um, Mm -hmm. to give children some more um, experiences with different cultures and, and, uh, traditions, but, um, but just even keeping it simple, like their favorite stories are stories about my dog champ. 
and, oh. and like um so we we have that time before lunch where I I tell a story or my assistant teacher is a really good storyteller too so and sometimes the children want to act out the stories sometimes we bring little puppets out we tend to keep it pretty simple outside because mm-hmm. um you know simpler is just better but telling stories sometimes making uh, little chestnuts be the little animals and the leaves be the little blankets for them to go to bed at night. You know, you can just pull things from nature to enliven those stories. And, and then the children will take that little idea and run with it during their playtime. So, yeah, I know I've got to actually, um, our youngest is a kindergartner. Our youngest is a kindergartner. Mm -hmm. She's five. And so this is like her world. It's like everything is a baby. You know, the watermelon is her baby. The big rock is her baby. And she's, and she's pretty territorial about it. You know, she'll like set these little random weird things places and people will move them. And she'll be like, who touched my babies? You know, so it's a cute age. It is. It is. And it's just so wonderful for them to have the time to really experience that. I mean, they're building like, empathy and mm-hmm. just creating like boredom is so good for children. Like I have children, you know, who come to us sometimes from, from other programs and, and they initially are sort of standing there. I'm bored. I'm not, I don't know. What are we doing today? And um, slowly over time, you know, we scaffold them in little ways and plant these little seeds. The stories help the circles help. Um, and, and they get inspired by watching their friends and, um, when they can work themselves through that boredom and realize the beauty in just a rock or a chestnut Mm -hmm. and that they can become babies and that, you know, that little notch in the, in the base of a tree can become a fairy house and you can bring all wonderful little berries. Like that's just so important for young children to, uh, Mm -hmm. To know that they can create out of yeah. very little. I mean, of course, nature is full, but we don't always notice it. Right, right. At first. Um, and yeah, so so anyway, back to... Uh, back so to tell me about lunch. Our day. Tell yeah, me about lunch. lunch because, you know, I remember lunch, you know, as in, in the public school system as being fairly rushed and chaotic. Um you know yeah. what, uh, and and I think that possibly the time for lunch has gotten shorter, even since I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's? Uh, how do you guys do lunch? So, um, yeah, I I think back to when I taught in the public school system, and and lunch was this time where really we're trying to nourish young children, but it was it's rushed. Get your tray. It's loud. It's inside yeah. a cafeteria like the sensory uh, yeah. intensity of, of cafeterias so yes. often like yeah, and it was stressful. to your food. Like, who am I going to yeah, sit stressful. with? Is there going to be an open seat next to my friends? What if there's not? Where do I go? It was high stress. And also the timing of it was always odd. You know, I remember being, well, by middle school, it was like A lunch, B lunch, or C lunch. You know, they're trying to siphon the kids through. And it was like sometimes lunch would be at like 10, 20 in the morning. <laughs> like, this isn't right. really lunchtime. Yeah. yeah. But you guys have had a full day. Yeah. You know, well, once you've gotten to lunch. Appetites are definitely there by the time yeah. we get to lunch. Um, and we do create 
um, you know, a, a routine surrounding lunch where it's, it's a, it's a community experience. It's, um, it's a time where, and because we're coming from our story, I can kind of create that energy of, of reverence that the next thing to do together is, is lunch. And we'll sometimes say a blessing right there um, after our story. And, you know, we're a non-denominational school. So we, we do sort of earth-based blessings, earth who gives to us this food, sun who makes it ripen good, dearest earth and dearest sun will not forget what you have done. Blessings in that Just spirit. being grateful. It's a gratitude. Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we, we have lunch in a way where oh, there's a little bit of flexibility. We do have to adjust to the weather. So yeah, I was uh, curious about that. Yeah. Um, on, on non freezing cold days, we're outside and yeah. we'll, we'll sometimes eat in the gazebo. Um, and we have tables and chairs or stumps there. And, um, sometimes I will give the children, um, the uh, choice to sit where they want. And sometimes I will put the lunch boxes out ahead of time. So they sit next to somebody new and I can be, you know, very mindful of that, just how I need to stretch, stretch the children. Cause I, Oh, even though we're trying to create and community to, you know, help these children grow, we also have to provide a little friction and a little challenge at that optimal place where they, um, they stretch themselves. Um, but it's all done in a way where, uh, I stretch them over the course of the year to, um, to try new things and try sitting next to new people. Or, uh, sometimes we have a picnic too. If, if the gazebo, you know, if it's just beautiful and I want to watch the birds while we eat, we'll go for a picnic over here, but we usually try to be in a circle form and that's just so we can all see each other and have, um, have that feeling of community. And it's wonderful for children to notice what, what each other, you know, the different things they bring from home. It's definitely incumbent on a Waldorf teacher to um, plant the seeds of healthy conversation and sort of take redirect conversations that may be exclusive or Hmm. not conducive to good digestion or relaxation and sort of guide things back um, in a way. Well, this is, this is the social, you know, this is a social Mm -hmm. teaching of social skills, which um, I know is such a a big word Mm -hmm. um, parents are concerned about for their kids. And, and I believe that they are something that you can teach, um, you know, which is like you said, well, you know, this isn't a conversation for lunchtime or, you know, those types of things. Yeah. So, so real quick, um, like body talk, it's not a conversation for lunch talk, for example. And, you know, you'll have time when you go back to, uh, to play, if you want to have a little bit of that over there, that's fine. Cause young children need to do that. Um, yeah. but, uh, but not when we're together eating and they're, you know, and if you model that and hold that intention in a very calm way, the children <laughs> really rise to the occasion. Um, yeah. and, uh, and have that. And then they sort of start to respect and monitor each other and remind each other and remind each other respectfully. I remind them to, uh, to do it in that intention of, oh, well, we all forget sometimes it's okay. 
you know, we can help each other here. That's yeah. really the energy and having breaking bread with a group. It's something that it's, it can be um, hard to, to create that daily experience for your children, you know, at home. I found it challenging when I was homeschooling or just like part-time working and part-time <laughs> parenting, you know, but I, it's one of those things when parents come to me for advice, like what are some of the most important things I can do? Like do that, find a, that meal together once, once a day and where you yeah. frame it with a blessing and make sure there's some healthy conversation and, and yeah. you come to that still point of togetherness and, and presence. Yeah. And, and that's so meaningful. Um, yeah. And we're lucky because, you know, we, we get to do that actually multiple times through the day with the children, because each of our circles is that being present together so that right. circle and then that story circle and then lunch. And then we have a closing circle at the end of the day as well. Yeah. And that's a new thing for me. Um, but I found it to be really powerful for the children. Um, I mean, it's new in the sense that, um, you know, I would always sing a little song or something, but I kind of have broadened it just to, let the children have some time to reflect as a group on their day. And yeah. we also often read a, a storybook during that time. Um, so, well, between lunch and our closing circle, there is basically more free play. The children can have a rest time in the hammocks. Um, the children can finish morning projects. They can finish morning play. Like if they were creating some civilization or fairy house or shelter, they can go back to that. And that's really important for them to know that, um, to, to have that cycling back. Yeah. And, um, but, but one thing that our Waldorf school is doing more of now and many Waldorf schools are, is reading books as a part of our early childhood curriculum um, to to bring more uh, pictures of, of diversity, diverse experiences, people who look different than you. Waldorf has tended to be fairly Eurocentric in its curriculum. That was sort of, that's the tradition. And um, we are, I'm finding that that, that story time and picking really wonderful books, um, bringing different pictures to the children and, yeah. and expanding their schema is really important. For sure. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. 
From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120 because in the oral storytelling they're they're generating their own visual images which is a very important process for them to go to and it really is applicable to their later academic work Mm -hmm. but we also want them to be expanding their schema and seeing people that don't look like them doing things in places that don't look like our woods and um and so having those visuals from really lovely storybooks as a part of what we've added to our curriculum as well in the Waldorf School of Baltimore. Yeah. What's really interesting is that, you know, these certain educational philosophies, like you brought up Charlotte Mason and and Waldorf and Montessori, I think would fit in, you know, it's, it's really this, um, this permeating educational philosophy that parents and also teachers, you know, can grab bits and pieces of as you learn more um, and sort of bring it into your own life. And so, you know, where we're at, we're in Michigan. There's a a Waldorf school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, So it's a little ways from us. And, um, you know, I know that um, there are free, there are some, you know, public charter Waldorf schools, you know, and then some of them are obviously private schools and, um, you know, you're paying a tuition, but, you know, I learned a whole lot uh, through just knowing about the Waldorf and um, my midwife's, her sons went there. And so, you know, I learned a lot about, um, you know, the physical markers for reading readiness, let's say. So, you know, she talked to me about, you know, as their as their baby teeth fall out, this is signifying that their internal organs are formed, you know, and maybe now their their bodies are more ready to read, or that you lift your arm up over your head and if you can touch your ear, you know, your limbs are in the right proportions. And so, you know, all of these things, the in breath and the out breath and I'm just talking about 
well, Steiner was really into stages, right? You know, this birth to eight or, you know, these different stages. And, um, you know, I didn't attend a Waldorf school. Uh, my kids didn't attend a Waldorf school. And yet we have gotten so much as a family out of the philosophy. And so I think parents who are listening, you know, can hear your schedule for kindergartners and think, oh, you know, what a lovely day. And and certainly not everyone is home and would be able to provide something that's, you know, similar from eight to three or eight to four, but, but maybe they take a portion of that on a Saturday morning and say, let's take a story into the woods and do a hike together and bring a snack or, you know, that these things are so nourishing to the soul. Um, So it's a gift of these philosophies that, that they're, you know, you're, you're sharing and, and people can latch hold to the different tenants and, Um, like you talk about community meal or, um, and that's what, you know, I did when I was a homeschooler, I tried to pull the best from Waldorf and Montessori and, um, Regio and Charlotte Mason and was, you know, trying to really look at my children and, and see, um, what, what worked best for them and for our family situation at the time. And, um, and, you know, there's, there's differences with all of that, but, you know, in terms of, of the outdoor education, I think one thing that I really found when I was working with my two boys and they were super active boys during our our homeschooling years, um, which, uh, because my boys went to this Waldorf school, my older son was in middle school. And my younger son started in second grade and they each went three years here Um, because we couldn't, you know, we couldn't do private school for the whole time. And, um, and also like for a while we were living in a place where there was no Waldorf school. Um, I was actually um, trying to join with a a Montessori teacher friend of mine named Susan Schlebowski. And she, um, we were both very inspired by Richard Louv's book back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um and we we brought you know sort of the best of those philosophies together into uh, a school, a sort of an early childhood experience called River Valley Nature School, where we we were initially thinking we were kind of gonna be more inside doing the Waldorf inspiration and the Montessori work. And what ended up happening was we found the children were that happiest and we were our best selves outside. And we just, you know, moved, moved everything sort of to the outdoor adventure mode. And that was so wonderfully powerful. But, um, you know, I think uh, so much of it is as adults, whether you're a homeschooler or teacher is you have these philosophies um, to help, you know, you think through your plan and set your intentions and then you have to, see what your reality is and who your yes. children are. And, um, you know, for, for me, when, for a couple of years when I was homeschooling, I always really wanted to get the, the work done early in the day and then have like afternoons where my children would go out and play. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was my children were better with some of the, you know, pre- academic work that I wanted them to start to think about doing if I went outside first thing 
in the morning. Right. Sure. <laughs> and I and I think that's probably a very typical situation, you know, where um, and then and then beyond that, that morning sunlight um, and morning sunlight exposure is actually very, very powerful for our health and our mood. So, you know, I think a lot of people have that philosophy of like, get the work done, right? Work, then play, work, then play, you know, and and really, you know, if we play first, then maybe our work will be, um, you know, uh, at a higher quality or uh, just be easier or feel easier. Um, you know, so I like what you yeah, said that I, your kids start off with that. They start with play. Yeah. And, and if you think about, you know, the schedule that I sort of described, um, it's, it's play, then coming in and doing this, this group experience. It's play, then coming in and having lunch together and having that story. It's yeah. play and then coming back together and reflecting on the day. And that's, that's more transition, but children do need to practice transitions. Right. It's not as easy on the adults because, you know, it, we have to find enlivened ways and patience to move through those transitions. But yeah. it's really like knowing that most of my students are going on to um, first grade, they have to right. practice. It's good yeah. for them to practice and they get used to it. And then also I'm providing that outdoor time up front, that play time up front. And I can trust that they're going to then come into this still point where I, I want them to kind of practice a different kind of focus in a more enlivened way where they're more grounded in their bodies and they're more oxygenated and they're mm-hmm. more awake. And they might have some, have had some kind of creative experience or like surprise experience that just takes them to a different level with their perspective is them yeah. into their work a little. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that that in breath out breath philosophy, or it's not even a philosophy, the in breath out breath, um, uh, that tool, you know, of of looking at um, uh, that, I think is, I think as a society, we're just doing all in breath, you know, or or it's very leaning heavily toward, um, you know, kids being in a situation where they can't release their emotions and and play, and yeah. so you know that's for any parent um, and kind of like you talked about with, with the time that we have, you know, every family situation is different and we all have different amounts of time that we get to choose what we do and choose what we do with our children. And, but with the time that we do have and we get to make the choice, I think being aware of sort of this, you know, this rhythmic childhood is so important and, and making sure that they have time to breathe out and to exhale and, and same for us as adults, right? This is, this is important. A big part of, of what we need to think about as adults as children are, are like sponges. They're, they're going to imitate what we do at the younger years later. Not so much. I have uh, teenagers now. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. A young adult, but uh, now they're like, not watching what you do, but in yeah. the early years, yeah, they're they're taking it in, and and we want to model all of these really important moments through the day where we're yeah. not flustered. And um, one thing that that I started to do, um, like sort of right before, right during that closing circle at the end of the day, is we have a, a golden moment and. 
I sort of loosely name it. Sometimes I, I call it just, oh, a look at the sky moment or a watch the birds moment or yeah. a moment. And even if all the children can't get there and some of them can't because they're still a little fired up from something that happened during play or just still working those ideas through, they see me breathing deeply, right. maybe getting into a yoga pose, maybe lying down using my backpack as a pillow and looking at the sky just just for a few minutes. And, and it's so powerful if you can can model those moments, taking those moments during the day for your children. Yeah, even if center yourself. You don't have to direct them like, hey, this is what we're doing now. Join me. Lie down. <laughs> we're having a right. quiet moment. You don't need to do that um, because eventually they come along or at least they take it in and that seed grows later. Yeah. Yeah. They learn a strategy. Well, yeah. Ida, I, I so appreciate this. It's such an intriguing um, thing that you're doing here in the States in Baltimore. If people want to uh, find out more about your Waldorf school, uh, where can they find information? Oh, sure. Well, we're the Waldorf School of Baltimore. Um, we have a website and um, it's filled with lots of information. And there's yeah. a lot of wonderful um, Waldorf inspired podcasts out there. So, collective if you're looking for stories um, to tell your children there's some wonderful seasonally inspired stories for young children there um, and uh, and also some reflections from a seasoned Waldorf teacher on these developmental stages that sometimes just put you at ease as a parent to, to hear what a great way to put it you know that this that this is yeah, it all does make you just feel a little better. You know, that is yeah. how I feel about, you know, some of these different educational philosophies that you're like, okay, you know, we can slow down, we can, you know, add some rhythm, you know, we can really enjoy each other. And it just sort of gives you the permission to do that. Yeah, and still like, do the Thrive. things that you, you lay all plant all those seeds that you want to grow in your children. Yeah. And you know, a while back, I think kind of on the tail end of my homeschooling, I read the, a book about being a tiger mom. And that, whew, you know, that sent me in a, such a different direction for a short period of time until I realized that I needed to come back and, and trust the path that I'm on. Yeah. Um, and every now and then I might sprinkle a little tiger mom in there. <laughs> yeah. But, but staying, um, but, but, you know, there's so much neuroscience and so much research. And, and if you watch your children, you know, just very carefully, they show you that this, this is the, the right path for early childhood. And then you can build on it in wonderful and unique ways. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Lida, could we end with a favorite outdoor childhood memory of yours? Oh, sure. Let's see. Um, well, I, I was the youngest of um, like six half-brothers and three half-sisters, and they were all um, considerably older than me. So when they'd come home in December uh, for the holidays, that was a wonderful time, and the house was filled, and there was a lot of joy. But come January, they would all go back to college or work or lives, and I would be <clears throat> an only child again. And um, I just remember this one January where I had been feeling a little low and 
uh, was probably about 10 years old and my last brother had gone <clears throat> and it was it was a snow day and I had been really looking forward to getting to school to celebrate my birthday, which is January 21st. And the snow day came on January 21st and I was stuck at home and I, my mom encouraged me to go outside and I went outside and I spent all day outside on the little frozen creek behind our house and just like I'll never forget just sort of the the sensory kind of comfort and the, the comfort of of that environment on where I was um, wow. in relation to kind of coming down off of uh, missing my siblings and just skating, boot skating, which is something I love to do with my students, boot skating on ice for hours that day, hopping over the little rocks, laying on my belly, looking through the ice to see if I could see water flowing underneath. Like, wow. it's such a vivid experience. Yeah. Um, I've carried it with me my whole life. Yeah. And I love to see when uh, children are, are having those moments. Yeah. Uh, those, those personal, connective, calming moments in nature. Yeah. And nature just meets you where you're at and provides for those deep needs that you have at all sorts of different ages for all sorts of different reasons. What a beautiful story, Lida. I love that. Well, I thank you so much. I mean, this is such a cool thing that you guys are doing. What a, what a, um, what a blessing that came out of, um, you know, having to be flexible and, uh, you know, you started something new and, um, something that seems like it will stick and, and, and it's influencing others as well. So I really appreciate your time. I hope you have a great day. I bet the kids are coming soon. Thank you. They're out there. Actually. They're coming. Yeah, they're, they're here. I'll get my snow pants and, yeah. you know. And go meet them. Well, thank you, Lida. I hope you have a great day and I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Jenny. You have a great day as well. Bye-bye.
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.